Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Well, last time we talked about legalism, and Michael put forth his idea that legalism is the biggest problem with the church in America, would you say, or would you say worldwide, Michael? I would keep it to America. Okay. So in America. So today we are going to now give Sam the floor for a little bit before we beat him up and tell him he's wrong and show him all of his uh, the errors of his way. But Sam, go ahead and uh, give us what you believe in America in 2015 is the biggest problem with the church. And, and once, once again, this isn't us just throwing rocks at the church. We love Jesus. We love uh, the church that he bought with his blood. We love the bride of Christ. Uh, we, uh, we are talking about this way just to hopefully highlight things that would allow us to, as a church collectively, to move into directions that our Savior would desire for us to move into. And so, Sam, what would you say is the biggest area where, let's put it this way, the biggest area where the church on heaven does not look the way that it will look, the church on earth does not look like it should be in heaven. So when Jesus prayed, would your kingdom, would it, would it be done on earth as it is in heaven? What is the biggest thing on earth that's not being done as it is in heaven? Well, this language may sound strange to our listeners, but I'm going to, I refer to it as the functional authority of Scripture. And uh, the adjective there, functional, is very, very important. Because I think all Christians um, uh, would acknowledge the authority of the Bible. In fact, if you go to most churches today, go to their websites, uh, look on their statement of faith, oftentimes the very first paragraph in their statement of faith is something to the effect, we believe that the 66 books of the Bible are inspired um, uh, by the Spirit of God. They are authoritative for uh, faith and life. And they might say something also about inerrancy or infallibility, use various terms. And it, But I think what I see is that a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, that's just kind of a token acknowledgement. It's kind of like we're gonna tip our hat or wave our hand at that, so then we can get on to other issues that really matter to us. But the but when you actually get into the life of the church, you get into the the flow of um, the family fellowship. When you listen to how the uh, a Sunday morning service is conducted, when you sneak into a small group and observe what is being said or not said, and even when you look at the lives of people, the Bible's not functioning as an authority over their lives. It's a, it, it's a theological principle they affirm, but when it comes, for example, to um, what is permissible in terms of our sexual conduct, there are a lot of professing Christians today that would say, well, I, I, you know, I feel that it should be okay uh, if people want to engage in same-sex uh, intimacy, or 
uh, how can we really uh, condemn somebody for an abortion? I mean, after all, it just doesn't seem just to uh, put that burden on those who are uh, held in poverty. Or they allow their emotions, they allow the cultural dynamics of our society to dictate what is right and wrong, what is true and false, rather than coming to the Word of God with the recognition that this is God speaking to us today, not just God speaking to Paul or Isaiah or Peter in centuries past, but it's through them God is saying, here is my revealed will. This is what is true. This is what is false. Um, for example, another, another big theological debate, we've talked about it on this program before, is open theism. Well, if you really press somebody on why they would be uh, enamored by open theism, the, God, the idea that God does not have exhaustive foreknowledge of the future, they say, well, it feels as if, if he did, I would lose my freedom. I would no longer be morally responsible for my actions. Well, the Bible says God has exhaustive foreknowledge, and you do exercise free moral agency, and you are morally accountable for your choices. So... What I mean by the loss of the functional authority of Scripture is, is that men and women no longer posture themselves under God's Word to allow it to shape their belief system, to shape their behavior, to shape their ethics of what is right and wrong. We are far more influenced by the prevailing winds within our culture or what Oprah or Dr. Phil have recently said or what feels right, or what's politically expedient, rather than taking a stand and saying, now, now listen, this is what God's Word said. Let me give you one more example. I wish the listeners could see the eyes of these guys around this table. <laughs> We're ready they to are pounce. ready to pounce. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Before he was booted, uh, Piers Morgan, uh, you know, he was the successor to Larry King, and he would have uh, guests on all the time. And I remember, I can't remember who the Christian, it was a pastor who was on, and uh, they were debating some issue. It may have been um, same-sex marriage. I can't remember. But Piers Morgan got really frustrated. And he said, don't you think that the time has come for you Christians to bring the Bible kicking and screaming into the 21st century and bring it into conformity with the prevailing opinions of the most brilliant philosophers and cultural trendsetters? And I just wanted to scream. I did scream at the TV, but I wanted to scream at him and say, mm -hmm. Piers, no. The time has come to bring the 21st century kicking and screaming into the world of Scripture and to subject it to the authority of what God has revealed in His Word. Now, if I had said that to him, he probably would have immediately gone to a commercial and then kicked me off the stage yeah. and brought in another guest. But it's this idea that, well, this is just an ancient document, dusty parchment. Uh, we need to subordinate it to the mindset of the, of the world in which we live. And I want to say, no, it's just the opposite. The world in which we live needs to subordinate its mindset to the revelation of God in his inspired and inerrant word. So that's what I think is most missing in churches today, even though, as I said, we pay token, um, uh, give token credence to the authority of the Bible in terms of our statement of faith or what we might say publicly in the, in the, the presence of many people. We all tried to talk no. as fast as we could so we <laughs> could talk me, first. Let me start this off by saying one thing. 
notice how no one interrupted Sam. Yeah, there's right? an honor but, and respect but there. Whenever <laughs> I started, everybody was interrupting me. So it's because you're they, a young listeners man. You don't have gray hair. Who the patriarch no, of and the by group everybody is. specifically for the record, it was Tim. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> let, let, let me tell you a story here. Whenever I was in seminary. Uh, one of my professors was talking about inerrancy, and he was talking about inspiration. And he talked about inerrancy in, in the evangelical world and the battle for the Bible and how it was you know, dealt with in the 70s and how important inerrancy was. And I don't want to step on you guys' toes if you're going to say inerrancy as being the biggest problem or not believing in inerrancy. But he said essentially this, Sam. He said, Forget about inerrancy for a while. We got to get to authority. Authority is the biggest problem right now in the church. Inerrancy is not. And if we don't have authority, inerrancy without authority is worthless. So, but authority without inerrancy is worthless too, because I see no benefit in errant truth. True, true. And that's, <laughs> that's not what he was saying. He was, kind of saying, he was kind of saying we've, we've set aside this and dealt with this in the evangelical world, but we've never really dealt with authority. Well, yeah. and, for, and for the record, I can walk a guy out of uh, a rejection of inerrancy if he holds to some view of authority. It's a lot harder to walk a guy the other way. So I would say holding the authority of Scripture when you don't hold to inerrancy isn't impossible. It's just difficult. Yeah, I mean, think everybody knows the most... Did you the, just the disagree most... with Sam? It's okay. I did, I did it obliquely. You know, I'm thinking of a guy a couple of years ago who rejected inerrancy, who's who's a good friend of mine, and um, and 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 I didn't panic because he still held to scripture as authoritative. He just thought it had some mistakes in it, so uh, he still felt like it functioned as God speaking, and we were able to take scripture itself to redeem his view of it as errant because he held some view of it being authoritative. Okay, so, we don't need to get into inerrancy though. No, no we don't. But let me say this. Uh, everyone knows the most famous passage in the New Testament about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. Now, let me just stop right there. Why did I think that was going to be a joke? Let me tell you yeah. the most famous. <laughs> it's profitable for teaching, profitable for training in righteousness. And I would simply say that I don't know how error is profitable. I don't know how I am trained in righteousness if what is being communicated to me is fallible, flawed, mistaken, misguided, uh, misconceived, misstated. So I don't find um, a fallible Bible to function in an authoritative manner. But Well, again, let's, let's keep on going with the clarification sure. on authority. And I, I've got some challenges that I want to bring and play devil's advocate on the issue of authority because I want, to, I want to come at you as one who maybe has some problems with authority and some legitimate reasons why. But first... Um, uh, uh, passages. What, what, what are some good passages in the Bible that speak directly to the authority of Scripture? Well, I mean, I think Sam just read, I think Second Timothy 3.16 is probably the clearest, I would say. Uh, and then, you know, I think also just looking at how Paul wrote his letters, uh, he would typically, you know, he's, he's writing to churches to correct churches, and he always starts by teaching doctrine. So he's, he's teaching them uh, things that they must believe and know in order to rightly practice, in order to, to rightly live out the church, you know. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, I think that there are many areas. I have a question for Sam, but I'll let uh, this question I've got, go I've got a first. couple passages for you. First of all, you know, 51 times in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament refers to the Old Testament. 
as scripture and it talks about it with a very high view of what it is that it that it's from god and it's to be taken at its word so the question then is usually follows well what about the new testament mm-hmm. uh, so that's a little tougher um but but there are some really fun little passages that i think the lord in his sovereignty you know uh, made sure got in there that helped tie the whole thing together i like second peter 3 at the end of his epistle there uh, peter refers to paul's writings and he says, man, there's some stuff in there that's pretty hard to understand, uh, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. He didn't have you in mind, Michael. Ignorant, <laughs> yeah, ignorant and right. unstable. Nobody at this table <laughs> is in mind. Not calling names. You know. I do have trouble uh, understanding. And then, and then very <laughs> tellingly there in Second Peter 3.16, uh, Peter ends by saying, as they do the other scriptures. Mm-hmm. That same word that's used 51 times in the New Testament to refer to the Old Testament writings as being from God. So you get some of those things. You get another great one in 1 Corinthians 14. At the end there, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says in verse 36, the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And then in, with regard to those um, many, many citations by New Testament authors of Old Testament text, instead of it saying, um, and Isaiah said, or um, and uh, Daniel said, it will say, and the Spirit said. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and you look in the Old Testament text, the Spirit isn't mentioned. But it's obvious that he believed that what Daniel or Isaiah or Hosea, Hosea or Joel, whoever was speaking, is speaking by means of the empowering and energizing, sustaining work of the Spirit of God. Oh, I forgot there's one more juicy one. First Timothy 5.18 uh, Paul says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, which is actually quoting Luke's gospel. So you get, you get Paul the apostle quoting yeah. one of the gospels of scripture. And before you, before you jump on me again, let me, let me no, say no, one No, no, I'm jumping thing. on you. I'm giving uh, one more passage okay. of scripture. <laughs> okay, Th- this is important. We're talking about the loss of any concept of the functional authority of scripture. And the question is why? And I, I can remember talking with a, an evangelical. This guy's truly born again. He loved Jesus. I, I don't have any question. He's my brother in Christ. And I asked him, why don't you preach from the Bible anymore? Why is it that even that the most you do is to read a text and then you use some word or image in it to jump off into the deep end of the pool and you start just pontificating and commenting and telling stories and I said, why don't you, why isn't the point of your sermon the point of the text? And why isn't the point of the text the point of your sermon? And he just very simply said, honestly, I just don't believe the Bible changes lives. I was breathless with that statement. You don't believe that the Spirit of God working through Scripture can make a difference in how people live yeah. and how what kind of parent they are or wife or husband or coworker that it, the bible does not change your life he says yeah just and it was obvious the more i pressed him even though he didn't use these terms he didn't have confidence that god would accomplish through the spirit empowered word what we have long assumed and rightly so in the evangelical world and so he just said i i think people are are, are more blessed and challenged and helped when I speak to the cultural affairs of the day and maybe tell a few juicy stories. Well, and I want our listeners, I've talked about this in the past, but it's good to think of theology as a web. And when you snip one strand, 
the rest of the web sags. Everything is connected to everything else when it comes to biblical truth. And so when you tinker with authority, you start to tinker with other aspects of Scripture. When you tinker with inerrancy, you tinker with other aspects of Scripture. So an acronym for you guys to sort of use as a lens to listen to the rest of what we talk about is there's four really big important truths about the Bible that the Bible talks about what it talks about itself. And I made a silly acronym because it helps me. I think of, you know, we feed on scripture. So the word snack, S-N-A-C, the Bible is sufficient, necessary, authoritative, and clear. The sufficiency, necessity, authority, and clarity of scripture. Sam is talking about the authority of scripture, but it's deeply connected like a web to all these other issues. Is it sufficient? You know, and this guy's going, it isn't. You know, if, if I feed them this diet, it's not sufficient. It's not going to actually help yeah. them change. And, so, I, can't, so, and so, I can't grow a big church if I preach the Bible. People want to hear uh, anecdotes. And I, and I want to say one more thing. You know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about how uh, the functional authority of Scripture is deeply connected to its clarity. So I agree with Sam, and I want to piggyback on that because I have a lot of conversations with young men in coffee shops, and it's and it's about the functional authority of Scripture, and it's about the rejection of its functional authority that's led to an entailment where they now are rejecting its clarity. Here's what I mean. They're going to they're gonna say to me, J.J., people disagree about sexual ethics so much. How could the Bible be clear? Mm-hmm. And Sam already gave them the answer if they were listening really carefully. We might say to the person who has a different view of sexual ethics, well, Scripture says this about what you can do with your body as a Christian. And then they'll say, that feels out of date or that doesn't feel right to me. They didn't actually come back with an argument from Scripture. But the listeners hearing us don't realize that, and they think we're having a debate about the Bible. And we're not. We're having a debate about what the Bible says, and they're having a debate debate about what the, how the Bible says shouldn't apply. Mm-hmm. That's not actually a debate about what the Bible says. And so what's led to is people thinking that Scripture isn't very clear because everybody's having these massive disagreements about things like sexual ethics. Wow, the Bible must not be very clear if people are going to have such divergent opinions. Well, I don't it's think, we're, I don't think we're representing these people very well, though. I think we're, we're jumping all over their case, and I think there Who's is some Who's these people? Reason. I'm talking Just about people, people who reject the, the functional authority of Scripture. I think there's some legitimate reasons why they would be saying in their mind, you you guys aren't getting it. Oh, you that's fair. I, I just want our listeners to understand that this is some of the outflow of a rejection. Is it then leads people to think that you can't understand what the Bible says? One other passage of scripture disagree. says, uh, first or Second Thessalonians two fifteen. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Stand firm, hold fast. I mean, the whole idea you guys are promoted so far is that to the degree that the Bible is God's word, is the degree that it's authoritative authoritative because it's from God. Yeah. So if God uh, is the authority, then the Bible is uh, authority of like kind. But, you know, here's the confusion that I have, and I'm trying to step in the shoes of people that are out there that are looking at this and they're saying, yeah, but who are you guys? Which one of you guys is the authority? I think you touched on it a little bit, but which one of you guys is the authority to interpret it? Who is the authority that I've heard so many different interpretations, and I'm legitimately trying to come to the Scripture and trying Mm. to understand it, Mm. and I don't really find people agreeing. And I throw my arms up in the air, and I say to myself, what's it worth? You know, who's who's to say how it is authoritative? And so it's kind of this postmodernism that's brought about a Google approach to what does this passage mean? And you, I mean, that's the way they're going to be searching it through Google. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get a lot of different options. And then in the end, they may say, I'm not that smart. And I don't know which one of these guys is. 
Well, Therefore, that, I can't really submit to the authority. Well, and I want, our, I want our listeners to do that as homework. The next time they encounter something like that, pay very close attention to the words of the argument of the person and see how much they actually deal with the words on the page and what those words say in plain English. And oftentimes, they're not doing that. They're making arguments from reason, arguments from tradition, arguments from experience that lead them to reject what's there. It's not that people are having, most of the time, really strong disagreements about what's being said. Sometimes they are. It's usually a little more oblique than that. Uh, take Let's take the issue. This seems like we always come back to sexual ethics, but the most pressing social, moral, ethical issue in our country is the issue of same-sex behavior, homosexuality. There was, for a time, certain revisionist scholars. We call them revisionists because they were actually trying to revise what the Bible truly said. Most scholars today acknowledge openly admit that the Bible is consistently negative toward all same-sex intimacy. Um, it, the attempt to, to try to read back into the text uh, a different sexual ethic has pretty much been abandoned by really honest scholars. They say, yeah, you know, you're right. There is nothing positive in the Word of God about same-sex behavior. But it's unloving to deny people who are attracted of the same gender to engage in the kind of behavior they want. And um, we live in a society now where we've come to recognize the value of complete freedom of choice in every regard, and nobody can impose their ethic upon another. So this is precisely what J.J. was saying. If you bring the, the, the really objective and honest biblical scholar back to the text, even the one who might endorse same-sex marriage and same-sex intimacy, and that individual will say, you know, you're right. Your interpretation of the Scripture is correct, but it doesn't function authoritatively in my life. I think we've moved beyond what the Bible says, and we've come to, to enthrone another authority over the so-called authority of inspiration, and it is, of course, the authority of self-determination mm -hmm. and what I want to do, how I want to conduct my life, what makes me feel fulfilled and meaningful. What yeah. Sam has done for us is very valuable because a lot of Christians are afraid of getting into arguments in the negative sense of the word because they have this idea that it's probably not very loving to be getting mm -hmm. an argument with a person that I'm trying to tell good news to. Mm -hmm. And so the minute there's a conflict in the conversation, well, what do you do? You either start an argument or you change the subject. And what Sam is doing, I think, gives people a valuable sort of missional third way so I was having lunch with a young man who was in a homosexual lifestyle, but he wanted to debate with me. He brought it up, he scheduled the meal, and he wanted to argue about what the Bible had to say about homosexuality, or at least that's what I thought he wanted to do. So I said to him, you know what, R rather than digging into texts and wrestling in the mud together, let me just ask you a question. I said, if you're reading along in your Bible and granting that this were possible, this is a clarity of scripture issue again, and I said you came to something in the Bible and you realized very clearly, let's say for the sake of argument, that it was clear, that the Bible was saying one thing about a particular issue and you believe something entirely different. I said, what would you do? And he got a big grin on his face and he said, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so in other words, in a sense, I backed the conversation up one level. Instead of arguing about secondary issues, let's argue about the primary issue, which is granted that you could actually figure out what the Bible said about a particular issue. And then granted that you found that you disagreed with scripture, who wins? Yeah, yeah, that's, and I, I totally agree too. And that's uh, the Wesley quadrilateral it speaks into this too a little bit. Ooh, but but yeah, a big term. Yeah. Right now you're going to have to make sure you're smart. Take the next yeah. three yeah. minutes yeah. defining yeah. that yeah. one. No. So the idea, though, being that, and one thing I think that is good to know is that there are many authorities in our lives 
Uh, and we're not saying that there's only one authority in your life. You know, we, we have reason as an authority. You know, there are many times uh, throughout all of our days where just us thinking and what we come up with based on our thinking is immensely helpful for us. But there is you know? one final authority. Yes. Well, come on. Let, let me build it, okay? Well, you told me I had I three minutes. I was afraid we were going to run out of time before <laughs> no. we got that one in there. No, we're good. Yeah, so, so, so the whole idea being, yes, if my reason tells me something about sexual ethics— if my experience tells me something about sexual ethics, if my family, my parents, my uncle, my aunt, my best friends were all talking about sexual ethics, but then if God walks into the door and steps in here and he says, guys, do you guys mind if, if I get the final word? And if we say, no, we don't care, we've already worked it out, then that is a lack of functional authority. But if we say, yes, please, we, we all have our thoughts on this, God, could you sort it out for us? And he says, yes, here it is. Then, getting what JJ say, are you able now and do you have the courage now to live out what the final word has just been spoken, which is God's statement? Well, and, and to a Google generation, you know, that does search on Google for interpretations of the Bible and does get confused, I totally understand where they're coming from. But I would give this advice before anything else. Don't search on Google whenever you're talking about this. I mean, just think about the multiple things you can search on Google for, and you expect there to be a multiplicity of answers, and none of them are necessarily going to have educated backgrounds. So you got to go someplace other than Google. And number two, to piggyback on what um, uh, what JJ said, is the clarity of Scripture. We're not saying all Scripture is, is as clear as it could be, but the main points of Scripture are absolutely clear. And we expect disagreement on some of the minor points that can be debated. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop. And their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.